Well, I'm sure some of you heard, maybe not all of you, that we, as a state, recently made national news. Not this past week, I'm not going to talk about that this morning, but just a little while ago, because of some branding changes that were being proposed for Nebraska. The new tagline is this, Nebraska, honestly, it's not for everyone. Some said it was brilliant and genius, others, not so much. Uh, We're going to have a vote so we can split the church today. (laughs) We're not going to do that. Nebraska, honestly, it's not for everyone. I do like our traditional signs. I do like being reminded when you're driving uh, into Nebraska where the sign says, Nebraska, what? The good life. I like that because... Even though I don't care about the weather, um, we're about as landlocked as you possibly could be, and I don't like the fact that recently we were ranked 50th when it comes to being bicycle friendly. Uh, I do like Nebraska because I can live a good life in Nebraska. I like it that the cost of living is relatively reasonable and low. Uh, crime is relatively low. Um, I like it that I can live a good life in Nebraska. Um, perfect life? No. I would like to live a perfect life. I'd like to be independently wealthy. I'd like to be perfectly healthy. I'd like to have all of those things. Um, but reasonably, it's not going to happen. So I can live a good life here. I like the metaphor as well, because Christians are not promised a perfect life in this world. Christians are not promised their best life in this world. Christians can live a good life in this world. And First Peter is helping us and can help us as Christians to live good lives. Ultimate life? No, because we're waiting for Christ to return. And when we see him, the Bible says we'll be made like him. We'll be glorified. We'll have our very best life. Uh, We have all of the promises now, but we're looking forward to something. We're looking forward to our perfect life. But in the meantime, we are called to and can live a good life. In fact, I think the Apostle Peter would like our sign in Nebraska because he says... For whoever desires to love life and see good days is commendable. To love life and see good days is commendable. It's not exactly our theme. It's not exactly our motto. But it's similar. It's good to want to live a good life. It's good to want to enjoy life. The Old and New Testament affirms people wanting to live a good life even though this isn't uh, heaven, even though this isn't the New Jerusalem. So if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to look with me because we're going to work on living good lives. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, and this morning we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 13. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 13 is what we're going to look at. And if you're a note taker, uh, it, it at least starts out by giving us six points of instruction. Six points of instruction for living a good life or a blessed life, if you will. Before we jump in and look at those six, I I need to have you remember to step back, and some of you are just joining us so I can bring you up to speed. First Peter begins by really emphasizing who Christ is and what Christ has accomplished. 
Okay? It, it doesn't call upon us to do certain things. It calls upon us to know who Jesus is and to know what He's accomplished, to know things like in chapter 1, God has caused us to be born again. It's Him. He has done it. We don't do it ourselves. It doesn't start by telling us how to live a good life. Okay? That would be moralism. That wouldn't be distinctly Christian. He starts out by talking about what Christ has accomplished and, and mercy shown to us and grace shown to us. And it's all because of the merits of another, namely Jesus, life, death, and resurrection and His ascension. And so with that solidly in our minds and, and having understood that, He then starts telling us how to live in, in, in light of that to live lives that are imitating Christ, to live Christ-like lives in the here and now. And, and it's appropriate that he does that. Uh, it should be that way. We, we're, we're not saved to do nothing. We're not saved to live badly or unchristianly. We're saved unto newness of life, and we should look like we're different than we used to be. And so we're in that section now. But don't misunderstand and don't confuse the two. We're not trying to live good lives so God will accept us. He has accepted us in the Beloved, in Christ. When you trust in Jesus, you're united to Him, and God has accepted you. But now that He's accepted you, we want to honor Him. And we're going to see this in our text, but I just want to make sure that we're thinking clearly and thinking Christianly and not in thinking in terms of, of raw um, moralism or, or something like that. Okay? Ready? Ready for the list? The list comes out of gratitude, right? Not trying to gain our way, but because Christ has gained our way. Now, out of gratitude, we want to do things that would honor Him and please Him. We want to live good lives. Good for us, good for others, and certainly good at emphasizing the glory of God. So, let's go ahead and begin looking in verse 8, where it says, Finally, all of you... And then he gives the points of instruction. Finally, all of you, he talked about wives, he talked about husbands, he talked about the governing authorities, he talked about workers. And now he says, finally, everybody, regardless of your lot in life, regardless of your position, whether you're young or old, whether, whatever your status is, no matter who you are, if you're a Christian, here's what you need to do. So here we go. Have unity of mind. That's the first thing on his list of instructions on how to, how to live a good Christian life. Have unity of mind in absolutely everything. Well, that wouldn't make sense because we have different gifts. We have different likes. We have different interests. So when he says, have unity of mind, be thinking the same way. Well, what has he been talking about in First Peter? He's been talking about who Jesus is. He's been talking about what Jesus has accomplished. He's been talking about how we're strangers and aliens in this world, that this is not heaven. He's been talking about how we want to live lives that complement the gospel, not contradict it. He's been talking about how we even have a burden for our enemies, that on the, as he calls it, the day of visitation, when Christ returns, perhaps they might be with us and no longer against us because they've been won over to believe in the gospel. He's been talking about that kind of mindset, that kind of attitude among among Christians. He's been talking about living for the glory of God even amidst suffering. So when he says, finally all of you have unity of mind, doesn't mean we all have to have the same hobbies and get matching t-shirts and go on vacation together. Right? We're different. We come from all different kinds of backgrounds and, and, and likes and dislikes, but we're Christians if we're in Christ. 
So we have the same mind when it comes to Christ and the gospel and the things of God. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 where he talks about having a unity of mind and he says that we're, we're standing firm for the gospel. He uses a military metaphor and then he uses an athletic metaphor and he says we're striving together for the faith of the gospel, all because of our one-mindedness. This is how Christians are supposed to act. They're supposed to to, to be of the same mind when it comes to the things of God. I want us to be uh, of like mind together as a local church. I want us to be of like mind with other Christians living in the here and now, even if they're on the other side of the planet. I want us to be of like mind with Christians who've gone before us. I want to be of like mind with Christians who will come after us. Because I think in terms of Jude, where Jude says, the faith, the realities of God and Christ and salvation, has been once and for all, what? Delivered. Delivered. So we can be unified, because it's not always changing, like the whack-a-mole kind of thing, right? We're not always looking for the next thing. It's Christ. We can actually have unity, because the the faith is settled. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and the the finished work of Christ alone, as we like to say, by shorthand. Have unity of mind in these things. Then he gives another point of instruction. Have unity of mind. Then number two, after the comma, sympathy. We're to be sympathetic. Do you want to live a good Christian life? You should be a sympathetic Christian. Uh, It's a word that could be translated understanding. That might help you kind of understand the nuance of the word. Uh, To be sympathetic is to be understanding. And we usually think of sympathy during good times or bad times. Usually we think of it during bad times. And Peter definitely strikes the, the chord of suffering in this book. So that seems to be what he has in mind. Christians should be understanding of other Christians who are facing hardships. I hope you're noticing these all are Christ like things. When someone's going through a hardship and, and, and you, you can say, honestly, I understand. Or even if you don't say, I understand. Because sometimes if you really understand, you don't say, I understand, right? <laughs> but, you, but you have sympathy. This is something Christians do. Not indifference toward fellow believers who belong to the same family. No, there's actual understanding and care. It it reflects Christ-likeness. So it's good for you, it's good for them, it's glorifying to God. In light of the gospel, we would want to be sympathetic kinds of people. It's really hard to do if you don't know somebody. It's really hard to do if you try to live your life, uh, your Christian life at a distance and aren't involved in other people's lives. He's assuming that you are involved in people's lives so you can show, show understanding, sympathy. Would other people consider you sympathetic? Certainly something you could pray for yourself. God, help me to be a sympathetic person. He's addressing everyone. But sometimes this is, I'm going to call men out for a second because sometimes this is a hard one for men. Men aren't typically known as sympathetic people. But when we're living counterculturally in light of the gospel, uh, it's a thing of beauty when you can watch a man be characteristically sympathetic, understanding. It's not a sign of weakness, men. Think about Christ, who was the ultimate sympathizer. 
and he had all the power in the universe at his fingertips. He showed sympathy. He showed understanding. Christians should be understanding people. I love to see it. Let's move on to another one. The next one on the list, number three, if you're counting brotherly love. It's pretty easy to understand. It's like you belong to the family. Right? If you're a Christian, you've been adopted into God's family by virtue of your goodness. No. You've been adopted into God's family. First Peter keeps emphasizing by His mercy. You didn't deserve it. So by His mercy, you're adopted into His family based upon the merits of your elder brother, Jesus. According to Hebrews chapter 2, He's our elder brother. Okay? He does all the right things for us. And so... Our Father's happy with us. We should be showing brotherly love. If you'd like to say sisterly love, I think that would be okay too. If you don't have brothers or sisters, I mean, it's easy for me because I have a brother and I like to tell people we're so close we don't get along. Which isn't even true. We do get along, but we're so close and I'm thankful for that. Not everyone has that. But it's easy to understand even if, you're, even if you don't have any brothers or sisters. Because you can understand it in the lives of other people. You can understand it if you've been on an athletic team and you talk about, you know, there's a real brotherhood here or a real sisterhood here and we work together and we sacrifice and it's not all about one person, it's about the team together and you would sacrifice for that other person. Or in military, we say brothers in arms, or at least we used to. Brotherly love. If you're a Christian, you should love other Christians, even if they're different than you are, as if you're family members. Special care, special concern. And again, this is a Christ-like kind of thing. I want to be better at showing brotherly love. I'm going to treat you as if you're in my family. I would sacrifice for you. You know, there's nothing I wouldn't do for my brother or my sister in real life, to carry some of that over and say, we're we're, we're adopted into this amazing family. I want to be that kind of person. Not so God will accept me into heaven. He's already accepted me in Christ. And and now I want to do this. Now, sometimes brotherly love is hard for us to understand because we we forget that love transcends feelings. You know, I've heard it said before, and I'm sure you have too, "I, I, I don't know how I could love that person. I can't even like them. And sometimes I would like to say, you know, it's not like, well, once I can like them, then I can love them. In one sense, we love people that we don't like. There are times when I've not liked my siblings and I've loved them and done things for them. So let's erase it from our minds. Somehow we've got a first comes liking, then comes liking more, and then comes loving eventually. No, it's show, show love. I'm so tempted to go to Hebrews chapter 2. We're not going to do it, but I, I, I love the... Maybe it's because... I love it so much because I never thought about it in my Christian life. Jesus is our elder brother who merits the favor of the Father. It's great. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Point of instruction. Christ-likeness, living a good life. He says a tender heart. We should show a tender heart. Literally, I just showed it to my son in my Greek New Testament. 
healthy intestines. <laughs> A Christ-like virtue is having healthy intestines? Say what? Right? It's a first century way of, of, of saying at the very center of who you are, right? The very core of your being, this is who you are. Tender heart. It's genuine. Your, your positive feelings toward another believer, and in this case, it could even be a, a, a non-believer. You, you, you have a tenderness of heart. It's not just you say nice things. It's not that at all. It's not some kind of virtue signaling, to borrow from our day's vernacular. It genuinely, at the very core of your being, you have healthy intestines. No. <laughs> you have the right feelings toward other people. This comes from being a Christian. This comes from you knowing that you didn't get what you deserved. And so even when other people are acting badly and you know they don't deserve for you to care about them, Christ-likeness has you caring about them anyway because you've received mercy and grace and been adopted into God's family even though you didn't deserve it. And so genuinely, because that has gripped you and you've come to know Christ and the gospel, now you can have a genuine internal feeling of care for someone else. And that's awesome. That's a, that's a, that's a powerful thing. And, and remember... Um, earlier in the book, and he's done it at least a couple of times, he wants us Christians living Christianly, proclaiming the gospel, obviously, so that perhaps even those who oppose you falsely might be won over and stand with you looking forward to Christ's return, not dreading it. I want to live that kind of life. I really, truly care about people. Now, God was preparing me for the sermon. It took two weeks. Maybe I really needed a lot of work on this because of the snow day last week. But in God's providence and circumstances, I, I was somewhere and I saw some people who I think I genuinely have cared for, even for years. And they walked away. And I saw them. And at first I thought, I'm so happy to see them. Oh, and then I thought, you're the last people in the world I want to see right now burned me, you know, it's, I just thought, give me a break. You want to come over and talk to me and smile and tell me how good it is to see me and all this stuff. All kinds of emotions. Thank you for coming to my counseling session. <laughs> but I had to remember, and we had a great long conversation, but I had to remember that even though I want to put my guard up and say, I'm not getting burned again. If we're talking about Christ-likeness, he got burned every time. Every time. Because he was never dealing with people who were faithful. That's why he had to die for them and be raised for them, having lived for them. So I guess I, I, I'm going to get burned again and need to be willing to do that. And so do you. 
because you really are somebody who cares. You genuinely care for people. Not because they deserve it, but because you've you've received grace, right? Let's move on to the fifth. Then he says, and a humble mind. Again, Christ-likeness, I can't help but think of Philippians chapter 2. Have have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. There's humility. You lower yourself. Christ lowered himself, not because he was lower, but because he was humbling himself to do something great for us. So we're to have a humbleness of mind where, you know what, I'm going to lower myself for the good of someone else. That's how Christians should be. It's not natural, but it is supernatural. So Christ-likeness, lowering lowering ourselves. I love chapter 1, verse 3, where he's boasting in God, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born uh, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's all boasting in God. God is so great and He did this according to His mercy. That that, that right there is what's going to help me to have a, a low of my own mind because he gave it to me by his mercy so I'm not going to boast in myself I'm going to boast in him I don't deserve it you don't deserve it so there's humility of mind I liked it that someone said what we are as Christians are beggars showing other beggars where to find food We're not, oh, I've got it all figured out. I'm so smart. I can tell you what propitiation is. Or whatever. No. Some beggar took me by the hand and said, look what I found by God's grace. And we're in the business now, not of looking down on people. If anything, we're going to look down on ourselves to serve others in humility for their good and for their benefit. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that these things are because we're in Christ and not to try to get us in Christ. This would be the downest, worst, most awful sermon ever. Okay, get busy. You've really got to be humble. You've really got to do this, and you've really got to do that. And I'll be your life coach for next week, and I'll really, maybe I'll scold you next week. Because guilt works for some people. And then the next week, I'll really try to stroke you and help you know what a great person you are, and how you can do it. And We would all be depressed. We would all be discouraged, or just self-righteously deluded, thinking, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm so good. So great that this this is because we're in Christ by grace according to mercy. Now let's let's live different lives. Let's live lives of praise and adoration and, and blessing God and out of gratitude, let's do the right things. Oh yeah, this is good. And then he comes to number six, or at least in, in our list, in verse nine. Uh, he says, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling saying bad things. But on the contrary, bless, say positive things, do positive things. For this you were called. I love it when he uses words like that. This is your calling. It's to be Christ-like. To this you were called, if you're a Christian, that you may obtain a blessing. 
Ultimately, I want God to say, that's right, that's good. I, I want a blessing from God. But he might also have the horizontal in view that you might obtain a blessing even from those who oppose you in the here and now. That perhaps they might bless your name because they've been a one over to the gospel. This is, this is what we're doing. And if this sounds like the Sermon on the Mount, it's no doubt where Peter heard it. This is a call to Christ-likeness. This is a call to live for the glory of God, to imitate Christ. Salvation, make sure you know, salvation is not by imitating Christ. But if you are saved, you're called to imitate Christ. I talked to someone not long ago and they talked about their unbelieving siblings and how terrible their unbelieving siblings were. And I said, well, you know, just keep loving them and encouraging them. Make sure they know what the gospel is, but you don't have to preach all the time. He said, oh, no, I haven't talked to them for years. I'm afraid of the effect they might have on my life. If I'm never at the place where I have opportunity to have evil done against me or reviling done against me, I can't really do verse 9. I said, I would encourage you to love those people and spend time with them. Maybe if it's going to suck you into doing things you're easily tempted to doing, then obviously there could be some restraint, but come on. You want them with you on your side on the day of visitation, return of Christ. That's why we we, we want to live like this. Not repaying. this, This is not giving people what they deserve is what he's saying. Now what he's going to do is call on Psalm 34 for support. Okay? So there are our six directives, our six points of instruction. He's going to call on a psalm for support. I hope you've been seeing what's going on here. Okay? All that you've received this morning would be under the category in theology, under the category of law. These are commands. These aren't options. These are things you are called by God to do. If you're not a Christian and you, you try to do these things, you're just going to beat your head against the wall. It would be designed to show you your need, your need for Christ. Because you won't be able to do these things perfectly. The gospel is the good news about what Jesus has done, and Jesus did all of these things perfectly so that you could be accepted by God in Christ. But now that we've been convicted of our sin and we've been forgiven of our sin in Christ through the gospel, now we're called to do the right thing again. So we're back to wanting to do what God says in His Word. We categorize it as law because it has to do with loving God and loving neighbor. So what we don't want to do is confuse commands with the gospel. Or we also don't want to say, now that we have the gospel, we don't need commands anymore. Yeah, we want to do the commands, but not in order to be rescued, but because we've been rescued. Okay, Psalm 34, but we're actually just going to stay in our text. Verse 10. This is the good life slogan, okay? Verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, that, that's just a rational person, okay? He's, he's, it's almost like a proverb. Whoever desires to love life, that's just a sane person. And see good days, that's just a sane person. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You want some basic instruction in life? You shouldn't be that kind of person. Don't say bad things. Don't say false things. Don't say ill-intentioned things. 
It's proverbially true. It's, it's like it's natural law kind of stuff. It's the good life. Verse 11 then says, let him turn away from evil and do good. And we would say, as God defines it. Verse 11 goes on to say, let him speak peace and pursue it. That harkens back to having a unity of mind. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. I love that metaphor. It's a word picture, metaphor. I love it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Righteous means adhering to law, upholding law. So the eyes of the Lord are on those who love him and love neighbor. The eyes of the Lord are on that person. Guess what? You want to be that person. Because it's describing what God likes to look at. What brings pleasure to God. Well, I want to live a life that God is pleased with. I want to live a life that that God's eyes are on me in a positive way. Right? That's what he's talking about. Think about um, things that you love to look at. Right? Um, Something that's hard. Something that's difficult. Maybe you built something and you just stand back and you just want to look at it. If you're a mechanic and you can make an engine work and you can just look at it, you can hear it purr and make that sound it's supposed to make and you might say, that's a thing of beauty. Or if you're an athlete, you know, to, 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 uh, a great pass, perfect pass. They keep showing it on highlights on ESPN. You say, that's, that's a thing of beauty. That's amazing. You just want to watch it again and again. A perfect jump shot. Whatever it might be. Art. You stand back and look at it. You think, that is beautiful. Your eyes are on it. You find pleasure in looking at something hard that's come out successful. And to borrow from the Apostle Paul, we are God's new creation. God's masterpiece, because of sin, because of the fall, corruption, all this pain and suffering and perversion and sin leading to more sin. And if you're a Christian, God has caused you to be, you want to talk about something hard? Born again, a living hope, new life, new creation. God likes to look at his successful project. And Christians are not called to behave unchristianly. We're in Christ. We're called to live a certain way. We have the power of the Spirit in us, indwelling us, empowering us. So when you're living a life that honors God, that doesn't contradict the gospel, but complements the gospel, I didn't say perfect because no one is perfect until we see Christ and are glorified. But if you're living a Christian life, if you're living the good life, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That's who we want to be. It's exactly what we want to do. I'd like to keep talking about this. And since we skipped last week, I've been given double time for preaching today. (laughs) Every Thanksgiving, my wife makes the pies. She's being designated from scratch pie maker. And all the lattice work, and she has a little thing and cuts out the little leaves made out of the crust on the top. And you just look at that pie and you think, that's amazing. Hurry, take a picture before somebody puts their foot in it, you know, on the way to grandma's house. Something hard, thing of beauty, 
The eyes are on it. There's nothing harder than recreating out of corruption. We want to live like that. Verse 12 then goes on to say, and his ears are open to their prayer. That's what we want. We want God to hear us. That's just basic. If he's our Heavenly Father, well, that's, he's, live, a, live a life that's honorable. This is it. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He's not pleased. He's displeased. I want to live a good Christian life because I want my father to be happy. That's all. Verse 13 says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? That's not such a simple question to answer. There's nuance here. Because at first he wants us to answer it, Oh, that's easy. No one. And we would want to say no one ultimately. But he's going to go on to talk about suffering and the complications of suffering. And we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to do that next Sunday. Nebraska. The good life, right? It's not heaven. It's not your best life. It might not even be a great life. Nebraska. The good life. You can afford a house. (laughs) This is not heaven, people, on the spiritual dimension. But it can be a good life by God's grace that pleases and honors Him. Thank the Lord that this is not heaven. This is not the new Jerusalem. But we're citizens of it, wanting to live like we are in the here and now. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the patient instruction that comes from your word through the apostle Peter. Thank you for... uh, the great clear reality that it is to us. Encourage the men and women and boys and girls who are here that they might live for the glory of God, that they might live lives that are pleasing to you, that are lives that you would want to look at. Thank you that all this can be true in Christ. We do long for the salvation of our friends and our family members as well as those who oppose us. May we be clear about what the gospel is as we speak and may our lives complement as we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.